Excuse me, you look tense. Hey, things are getting pretty tense in this room. You could cut the tension with a knife. Young man, if you don't address your tension, you are going to explode. You know, if any of these thoughts or phrases seem familiar to you, I'm glad you're joining me on our podcast today. Um, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but for the most part, tension gets a bad rap in our world today. I think we see it negatively, uh, something to be avoided, something to be corrected. I want to ask a question, though. Isn't there a healthy side to tension? So in, in our time today, I want to jump back into a dream that's filled with tension. I want to return to chapter 7 of Daniel. We're we're meeting him at a point where he's really struggling to understand some of the figures and images that God's setting in front of him. So as he seeks to understand what God's trying to do through him, there's a real sense in which he experiences, again, what what I call attention. It's one that exists between seeking to understand and discern what God chooses to show us through his word. And then on the other side, acknowledging that there's more that we cannot understand or even begin to grasp. It's the tension we express every time we recognize that there's just some things about God and the way he acts in our world and lives that we really don't understand or that may even seem oppositional to us. I want to walk away today thinking through two questions with you. Uh, The first is this, where in your life are you experiencing tension with God? And I don't want to be real about this. Uh, I want to ask, are there places in your relationship with him where things become tense? Uh, Is he allowing or maybe even doing some things that you don't understand or or like? Is he asking you to do something that that even the thought of makes you tense up? Has he closed some doors or seemingly blocked them in a way that while you're supposed to love them, you really want to just scream at them. That's tension. Think about it. Is there tension between you and God in your life today? Secondly, I, I want to just ask the question, what does it mean to live with that tension? Here's a phrase I want you to think through with me. Quote, tension always seeks resolution, end quote. Uh, just like water will always rise to the level of its container, tension always seeks to rise to that place where it finds resolution. Pointedly, we don't like it. It's uncomfortable. It's draining. It's hard. But what if we're supposed to live with it? Then what? I want us to think about what it means to live with tension in our relationship with, with God. I think Daniel had to. And I think we'll see it again in this dream. Tension. How do I live with it? So believe it or not, one of the things that got me thinking about our, our topic today is a speaker that I heard a couple of years ago at the Global Leadership Summit hosted by Willow Creek in North Barrington, Illinois. So the name of the speaker is Chris Voss. Maybe you know that name. For for years, uh, Chris served as an FBI hostage negotiator. Ultimately, he wrote a book about his experience titled Never Split the Difference. What I found interesting about his book, as well as the talk he gave at the Leadership Summit, is the reality of tension in the line of work that he's, he's actually given his life to. Think about this, hostage negotiator. Can you imagine waking up every morning, you put your work outfit on, you get, you get ready to head to work, but you're praying, Lord, I hope I don't have to do anything today. Because if you do, it means something very bad is happening. 
uh, hostage negotiators are people that are retained on a payroll while being told, we hope and pray we do not need you today. In, in his book, again, the title is Never Split the Difference. Uh, Voss talks about what it meant for him to engage a person that's taken someone hostage. And, and he suggests that a person has to be able to live with, with the tension that exists between engaging and listening to the demands of the hostage taker and acknowledging that those demands, while at the same time expressing the requirements of the FBI and keeping the hostages alive. So in the process, he suggests there are points along the way where you're seeking to help the hostage taker come to peace with an unresolvable tension. First, they, they have to be, they have to feel understood and valued, but at the same time, they have to know that their actions will result. There's just no way around it in their arrest. In essence, Voss suggests that the negotiator is inviting the hostage taker to live inside of an unresolvable tension and to come to peace with it. Think about this with me. This is going to sound a little bit odd. But, but isn't it true that there's times when the Spirit of God becomes a divine negotiator in our lives? Are there not times where, where we, 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 who we are or, or what we want, are at odds with who God is and what we actually need? Where there's really not a simple resolution to the thoughts that are going through us, where God calls you and I to live inside of attention. In his book, Attention Theology, B.D. Tate does a great job, I believe that, of recognizing how filled with tensions the Bible really is. He suggests, and again, I agree with this, that sometimes we read one scripture and we think, I, I get that, I understand that. We turn the page only to read another scripture that seems to contradict the one that we just read. And what, what Tate wants us to know in his book is that what might seem like a contradiction is not. It's a tension. That is, you have two equally valid words from God that are designed and actually meant to create a tension that invites us to live in a place where, where I have to admit, I don't understand, where, where I am put into a place where I become fully reliant upon God to give his direction, where we have to learn what it means to trust. You know, as a, as a Lutheran theologian, for me, honestly, this is familiar territory. I find that there's way too many theological systems in our world today that just they just want to wrap God up in a nice, neat box. They want to answer every question. We want to use reason and logic. But is that God? While it's true that that faith is not apart from reason, I would argue that there there's many things about God and his actions in our lives that they don't fit a box. There's things about him that exceed the capacity of human reason. There's things that we don't know and cannot know. And, that, and that's the point. Tensions allow us to acknowledge that God is God and, and I'm not. Over my years of doing theology, I've struggled, honestly, with such theological tensions as the freedom of our will over against Paul's clearly expressed tension of our election in Romans 9 to 11. Po pointedly, how, how do freedom of the will and election go together? Or how about this one? 
God desires all men be saved over against the tension that God has actually at times in history hardened the hearts of some. Can, can both of these be true at the same time? Or how about this one? The fifth commandment, thou shall not kill versus God's command to Israel to kill. That is wipe out many of their enemies. Then there's the tension experienced by a, a, a lot of us in life, namely God's expression of his love for us against the tension that sometimes he's actually the cause of disruption in our world today. Look at Genesis 1 sometime and compare it with Genesis 3. How can the same God who created the earth and called it good place a curse on it? Tensions. I think the Bible's filled with them, and, and so was Daniel's life. The same God who called Daniel and loved him deeply, who brought him out of the lion's den, also, don't forget this, allowed him to be separated from his family. He allowed him to be enslaved. He allowed him to be cut off from society. Daniel had to learn to live with tensions, which is what we find him doing, I think, in the seventh chapter of the book that bears his name. Think about this tension with me. In this chapter of Daniel's narrative, God gives Daniel a dream to bear to the nations, but he calls him to keep it to himself. There's a tension. He shows Daniel what will unfold in history and even interprets such for Daniel. Yet Daniel's left to wonder, what am I to do with this dream? So here's what I want to do. I, I want to read through this dream with you and understand what it is referring to. Then above the dream, let's understand how the dream is in and of itself attention. Finally, well, I want to come back uh, to our lives today. I want to ask this question. Where is it in your life? What tensions possibly exist in your relationship with the king of kings? Okay, I'm going to read for us now. We're going to go to Daniel 7. We're going to read verses 2 to 7, Lord. We just ask your blessing upon this uh, time of word that you would speak to us through Daniel today. All right, let's, let's read. Again, I, I'm always reading out of the ESV. Uh, here's what Daniel says. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea. They're different from one another. The first it was like a lion. It had eagle's wings. And as I looked, its wings were plucked off. It was lifted up off the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And then behold, another beast. Second one. It's like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, arise and devour much flesh. After this, I look, behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads and dominion was given to it. And after this, I saw in the night visions and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying, dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth It devoured and broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had 10 horns. So what just happened? What, who are these creatures? Daniel's shown in this dream. And what's the meaning and purpose of the dream? So in the time we have left, I want to answer the, that question. Then let's apply it to our lives. Let's start with an observation. First thing I want to observe with you is the fact that this dream is not really new. So what do, what do I mean by that? I, I don't expect you to necessarily remember this, but I want you to go all the way back to chapter two of Daniel. The very first dream that takes place in 
this book and his story is the dream of who? Of, of Nebuchadnezzar. So do you remember that dream? Um, actually, the dream that we're listening to today, the four beasts, was given to Daniel during and around the same time Nebuchadnezzar had his dream. So remember it with me. Chapter 2, remember that the primary focus was on a statue made up of four types of metal along with the element of clay. Here, here's what I want you to see. This dream, the one that we just read, has not four metals, but four beasts that come out of the sea. Now, these beasts correspond with the four metals in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. So in that sense, the dream's really not new. Remember what the metals refer to and now what the beasts refer to. Uh, both the four metals and the four beasts refer to four nations or empires, beginning with Babylon, each of which will overcome the nation before to become the dominant nation on earth. So here's how it works out historically. Babylon becomes greater than Egypt. In turn, Persia becomes greater than Babylon. In turn, Greece becomes greater than Persia. And finally, Rome becomes greater than Greece. So, so the images or the characters in each dream do change. The golden head of the statue in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, which represented Babylon, is now a lion with eagle's wings. The silver torso, representing Persia, is now a bear. The bronze thighs, representing Greece, are now a leopard. And the iron shins and clay feet, representing Rome, are now a frightening tin-headed beast. The images have changed, but the meaning has not. Which leads me to observation number two. While the meanings of the images in the dream correspond to the dream that Daniel interpreted for Nebuchadnezzar, the purpose, the purpose of this dream is different. So question, do you remember what the purpose of the statue dream God gave Nebuchadnezzar? What, what, was, what was he trying to communicate? Remember the answer lay in a stone. In Nebuchadnezzar's dream, there was a stone that fell on the statue, shattered its feet, caused the whole statue to fall. So, so through this, God was pointing to a simple message. He was saying, listen, nations will rise and fall, but there's one kingdom that's above them all and one who is king of kings. The rock is Jesus, who enters the world as a child during the period of Rome's rule. It is in his kingdom that his power will never fall. In that, I want you to see something. Attention. We live in a world where Christianity seems to be as powerless as it was in the day of Rome, yet we follow a king who is subject to none. There's attention. The purpose of Nebuchadnezzar's dream was to point to the coming of Jesus and the establishment of his kingdom through the world. So what about this dream? Daniel's dream. The images correspond to Nebuchadnezzar's, but the purpose is different. In Daniel's dream, there's no stone. I don't, I don't mean Jesus isn't present. It simply is pointing us to a different purpose, namely this. Daniel's dream is meant to bring comfort and confidence to Daniel and his companions as missionaries and witnesses that during the time frame that they'll live through, there will be massive disruption and change. But God is still on his throne. His mission will not fail. Again, what's the word? Tension. Daniel, along with all who have been part of Babylon, are getting ready to experience tremendous change, unspeakable disruption. 
circumstantially the time frame that they're getting ready to live through, uh, which has begun with the fall of Babylon, will seem chaotic. At times, it'll be filled with persecution and death, unlike anything experienced yet in and through it all. God is at work. Pointedly, the purpose of the dream is to express the tension that even when life becomes painful and disruptive, God, who may seem absent, is not. He's fully present. In fact, he's doing his best work in our lives, which leads us back to the question of tension in your life today. You know, as a pastor, I've had the privilege of serving people who often tell me, Luke, I can't figure God out. I know he says he loves me, but if he does, why did he let my husband die? Tension. God says he's in control, but there's so many dying in this war across the sea. Why doesn't he just stop it? Tension. Pastor Luke, God says he loves marriage, so, so why did he let mine in? I prayed to him. I tried to do my part, but God let it end. Tension. I, I could go on. Tensions are part of our lives. So here's my question. Where, where is it in your life today? Is it, in a, is it in your marriage? Is it in a relationship? Is it in a circumstance that you're facing right now? Or maybe even your relationship with God himself? Whatever it is, here, here's what I know about us. We want to solve it, fix it, remove it. Tensions are hard to live with. But I'm convinced that God not only, not only allows them, but oftentimes he uses them in our lives. Sometimes to teach us patience. Sometimes to test our faith. Sometimes to bring us to a place where we simply have to admit, I don't know. So rather than trying to solve our tensions or get rid of them, I want you to think about what it means to actually embrace them. Recognizing that God may be using a particular tension to bring us closer to himself, just as he did Daniel so many years ago. Well, that's it for this week. I want to thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it on this podcast. It means a lot to me that you're listening. And I do pray that the content's helpful. I want you to know that I pray for you regularly. And I'm, I'm just asking you to, to keep me in your prayers as well. Until next time, have a God-sized week.